instead of thinking about traditional time and space, the best way to empower and support your community is to reimagine space and time. Because if we think about it, time is probably the biggest thing educators would like more of in their day-to-day work and probably as leaders too. So if we rethink that, that would help us as leaders rethink the way we have meetings. Dr. Chris Jones here and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Hey, everyone. Thanks for coming back to hear this second episode by Georgina Dean. We titled it Building Structures That Last. And boy, it's not going to take you long to understand why it's titled that. We're going to jump right back into our conversation, but I do want you to pay attention how Georgina talks about the importance of getting feedback from community, teachers, and students when judging different levels of comfort for changes that you're going to make, and how it's super important to celebrate people's strengths vertically across the district. Imagine that. We're talking about high school level teachers in the states, that is, looking at what elementary level teachers are doing and getting ideas that way. Boy, when you do something like that, that's where you get some creative juices really flowing. It's all about a mind shift. And imagine this, Georgina talks about that too. So again, thanks for tuning in and welcome to our second episode called Building Structures That Last, with Georgina Dean. Enjoy. And we're back with Georgina, and we were just talking, as we left, we were talking about COVID. We had started to touch on the on the idea of COVID, and specifically a, a question I had because of Georgina's expertise in this area as far as technology and everything, and always a great perspective from different places. You know, I, I think about lessons learned from COVID and, you know, how we need to change, because it, I, I don't think it's a question of whether we need to change or not. Uh, um, we need to in education, but often education is like trying to turn an oil tanker. <laughs> and so we did some really good things during COVID, and we did some not so good things. But how do we engage teachers in the idea of discerning between what to keep and what to get rid of from an honest perspective, not from what's comfortable, but helping them move forward and get engaged in that process. Yeah, it's a tricky one, you know, because you want, as we talked about already, we want educators to feel comfortable, right? And obviously what's comfortable is what they've always done, as it were. And so going back to what they did pre-COVID just seems the easy thing to do, the comfortable thing, the what we know thing to do. 
But as you said, there's lots to celebrate, you know, in an unfortunate situation like a global pandemic, there is lots to celebrate in what it has positively pushed us to achieve. So when we think about what do we keep and what do we not keep, I think it's important to ask the questions and I think it's really important to involve the community. That includes making sure that we get feedback from our educators, from our parents and from our students. So I have, for example, regular focus groups that I have with students to ask them, hey, talk to me about, you know, your best lesson that you had during when you were learning from home. Talk to me about your favorite way to use your device, whether that's a Chromebook or an iPad, etc. in school. Talk to me about uh, what you do when you're using devices at home and you're not in school, you know, and that sometimes lends to, oh, well, we use it for homework or no, we use it for social media, different things like that. But not just with the students, Chris, also with the teachers, also with your governing body or, you know, district admin, whatever, whatever it's called in whatever country you're listening to this podcast from. And you gain feedback. So that could be like a survey, that could be like a Jamboard, or if you're using Teams, it could be like a Sway and everybody's collaborating on it and you're just dropping your ideas, you know? Something that I really like to do um, with staff is have a vertical Jamboard. So across the whole school from K to 12, and you have every you know year group, for example, or grade as it were, on a, a jam slide, and they're sharing screenshots of what was really successful in COVID. And then at the end of that collaboration, you give staff like 10, 15 minutes, however much time you need to go through other jams and add little feedback. So somebody who's in grade 12, for example, goes on to the grade two jam slide and they can see what they've actually done during a remote lesson or a hybrid lesson in their grade two class. And you'd be surprised how many teachers were like, oh, I didn't, I didn't think of that. Because actually, if we think about the education community, there are real strengths of practice across the different grades. So if we just take time to celebrate everybody's strengths vertically across the school instead of always horizontally or by subject, that also will lead to inspiring the others. And you and I talked before about this domino effect. It only takes a couple of people with some really sparking ideas to have that domino effect and other people be like, oh, I'm going to give that a try. You know, just the other week, I did a, a really short uh, facilitation for my leadership team and we did a collaborative jam. And then the week after, one of those leaders was doing cover for one of her heads of department and she used Jamboard with those students. And then those students asked the class teacher, oh, we use Jamboard. Can we use it in math next week, et cetera? So it's like that domino effect, right? So I think sometimes... Starting with what do we keep and what do we not keep just starts with a little celebration. Celebration that is actually a form of feedback that you get from your community to start the buy-in process. From collaboration like that, teachers will tell you what they didn't like and what they did. And you can take that feedback on board and see, right, our community is feeling really strong about this. Um, there are some quorums about this. Do we need to get our ed tech director in there to do extra training? Do we need to pull that program because that wasn't really successful? Um, and what do parents think? Because guess what? Parents 
parents were the teachers too during the pandemic, right? So what are their inputs? What did kids really like to use while they were learning at home as well? So I think, I think, you know, honestly, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but honestly, feedback into buy-in is a really powerful thing. Uh, my thoughts are, yeah, <laughs> they, um, <laughs> I, I love the line celebration. That's a form of feedback. Yeah. So when you bring people together and you get that feedback and you treat it with celebration and things like that, I, that's, that's a fantastic idea. And the idea of feedback built into where you move from there. And it, it's almost, you know, on the more basic idea of if you, I, it's funny because I tell my staff this all the time and I found that my survey answers and things like that, I, I get better replies on. I don't have anonymous surveys because that's a whole other thing. I don't believe in anonymity and that you have to build a culture for that. But the idea that I tell them, if I'm asking you for a survey, I am using the information. And mm-hmm. I make to do I make sure to do so very publicly in some form or fashion that that information gets used because that builds so much more value into it. Absolutely. I um, you know, you're, you're talking about the the strength of practices across grades. And I couldn't help but think when you were talking about that, also across disciplines, because good teaching and good practice is good teaching and good practice. So I love mixing up our departments and watching math people learn from social studies people and yeah. vice versa. So we don't get caught in the, you know, the STEM humanity silos that so often yeah. we get caught in. When I, when I asked you about blended learning or, or had mentioned blended, blended learning before and how teachers can discern between them, it's not always an all computer or an all paper thing, yeah. but, but often I get concerned, and, and sometimes this is some of just my personal hangups. I get concerned when I see people happy to rush back to sheets of paper. How is a leader, what are some tools or tips that we can give to other leaders that may be in the same, the same spot? How can leaders encourage teachers or um, engage teachers in the process of moving away from that more towards the idea that, and I don't want to say it's all rooted in control, but I think there's some control involved in that. But the idea that learning doesn't have to happen in a special space, it doesn't have to happen in a certain time frame. So, I mean, there's some are some time limits, but learning really happens anywhere and everywhere. And tech helps unlock that. But how do we how do we engage teachers in the idea of not rushing back like that? It's a it's a tough question. And it's a really good question because it's probably the question on everybody's minds right now as we Right, move through the pandemic and hopefully towards the end uh, anytime soon. I would say that it is really step by step. I would also say that every school needs to find the pace at which is appropriate for their community and their school culture. Um, that that comment in and of itself is always very apparent for me because I move from school to schools every few years, so I'm able to see the difference in communities, cultures, countries, etc. But I think sometimes we might uh, potentially leaders or schools might get caught up in the comparison of their school against another school in one district or academy and and feel like actually we're you know behind the game or or not, et cetera. And I think you need to move at a pace that your community is ready for because just like we talked about the domino effect, teachers, educators, they talk to each other, right? And so it's also word of mouth effect. And so if teachers are are creating this um 
consensus of, oh, you know, we definitely want to go back to worksheets, as you described as an example, then we have to tread very carefully, right? Because if everybody's, you know, together on this front, then we need to consider why. And I think when we start to understand why they want to do that, whether that is because they want to return to comfort, maybe they're just tired. Maybe they've spent so much time in the pandemic taking risks that they just want a little bit of space not to take those risks. So sometimes it might be just letting them go back to that space where they can just have a little bit of breathe time, a little bit of downtime. And then you might pop in one week and say like, oh, that's so wonderful. Have you thought about this? Or did you know you could do that with this tool? And instead of saying, why aren't you using tech for this? You're positioning in a light of, oh, had you actually thought about a different way of achieving the same objective? And I think You don't have to have the same approach as every school because just like we've learned that everybody's digital skills are on different levels, every teacher teaches uniquely and differently, we have to remember that it's the same with ed tech integration. So sometimes it might be a case of what I just described. And then there are other schools, Chris, to be honest, who might be able to have, you know, a a whole school meeting or a staff briefing or get into department meetings and say like, okay, guys, what are you excited about? What do we want to keep? And it may just be a conversation. It may be planning. So every school has to look at it different. What I would definitely recommend though, is like I said earlier, get that feedback from your staff to know where your starting point is. So if you guys are just returning back to the classroom after being in lockdown or maybe you're in hybrid or a high flex situation, when you get back to wherever you're starting from, check in with them. Okay, so who's going to be doing this and who's going to be doing that and who needs me to top up the photocopier because they're going to start with worksheets next week? You know, ask those questions and it doesn't have to be seen as a negative. You start where they're coming from and you build that buy-in back again slowly. I'll add one other point on the blended learning though, because sometimes with the pandemic, and it's not a bad thing, but with the pandemic, sometimes schools tried a lot of new tools, right? A lot of new strategies. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Teachers were trying to survive and that's wonderful. When we come back, it's important to assess as we said many times in this podcast together, what worked and what didn't. And to focus, I almost say have your little toolkit, like your suitcase of like your top five tools. And you want to try and help teachers develop innovation with those five tools. So whether it's like Google Jamboard, uh, Book Creator, whatever it is, Flipgrid, et cetera, there's a bunch of them. Pick a few that your early adopters and middle adopters were really happy and want to continue using and try to focus on those with your other staff members that may want to return to just paper-based because ideally you're not telling them we're moving away from paper to the contrary based on conversations we had together previously we should actually be giving students the choice of what they want to use it doesn't have to be here's the tool that we're asking you to use. This is what we'd like you to achieve. How would you like to do that? And you're letting students take agency and ownership of their learning. So from my role in particular, that's the that's the end goal is student agency and learning. And you have to look at it from a strategical perspective and say, right, where are my teachers at? 
Where are the students at now that they've used devices for so long? And where am I going to hone in my big five or my big 10, whatever it is? And how am I going to support the ecosystem to slowly um, branch out and grow together from there? Does that help a little? Oh, help a little. It helps a ton. I okay. <laughs> I have like so many questions. Um, oh. in, a, in a good way, in a good way. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of what, order I want to ask them in because they do kind of build and one's overarching. So let's, let's first talk about that whole student agency piece because that's massive. And people like to talk about student agency, but boy, I'll tell you to say, you know, you, you have to get to this objective. So now how are you best suited to get there and show me that you've learned that? That's a huge control issue. And I, and I don't mean that in a negative way because for years, forever, teachers have been trained that they have to teach students this certain thing and they have to teach them this. The the conversation has been one-sided that if you're a teacher, you teach. Nobody says, if you're a teacher, you guide somebody else to learn. And that's, I mean, we're, we're getting there, but that's a much deeper ingrained thing in teachers that if you're, and I know there's the, you know, there's the cliche guide on the side, sage on the stage, all all those (laughs) phrases that people like to throw out. But the whole idea is no matter how you talk about it, when it comes down to it, your title is teacher instead Mm -hmm. of like educator or facilitator or whatever. But there's that, that weight, that responsibility of, I have to teach them. And with that comes the idea of control. Um, you see, but I'm just going to interrupt you right there because it's a fascinating point, Chris, because you're right. And I think the mentality and the way of thinking is that. But why isn't the conversation more of I'm teaching you how to make choices, choices about what you tools you want to use, choices about your strategy for achieving that, choices about how you're going to critically solve those problems. So instead of, you know, I almost wonder to add to your point, Chris, is it that people are thinking about I'm teacher, I'm in, you know, I'm here to teach and I'm here to teach content. And instead, why isn't the conversation about, well, actually, I'm here to teach how they can take care of their own learning. And so it's a bit of a mind shift in that. But you're right, we're, we, we may not be there, you know, everybody all together now. But I, this is where I hope to see that education is moving, is that we are, we are, as you said, guided facilitators of experiences of learning not facilitators of here's the information. This is how you, you know, take the information and you internalize it and then spew it out. No, we are guiding students to discover ways in which they can experience their learning. Because if you think about it from a really young age children, they learn to walk and all the other things that they learn to do by experiencing, by taking the risk. So great, that's nothing new. Why isn't it the same for learning? Why have we said, well, actually, once you actually have a little bit of critical thinking capacity, we're actually going to take that away from you. And then we're going to mandate how you should learn. Why? That's the $25,000 question. Yeah. If we, if we only had an answer to that, but, but the, the way you put that, I mean, guided facilitators of experiences and learning, that's a mic drop. If, if um, when you're talking about it, the idea of 
why we make that break. You know, instead of talking about why do kids suddenly not like school after fourth and fifth grade, you know, clearly those two are put together. I was just going to say, and you know, the other interesting thing is I would challenge us as leaders, all of us, because I'm doing that um, as I go across my journey, talk to those educators who are educators in one side, whether it's high school or whether it's elementary, and they have children in the opposite side of the school and ask them what they think about how their children are experiencing learning, I will tell you, you will learn a lot about your own side's practice. Trust me. Or just honestly, look, if you have kids in that same side, honestly, look, like objectively assess what your kid's experiencing Mm. by listening to your kid. I have, and just not to, not to bore the listeners or anything, um, one of my, one of my students, or one of my students, one of my kids, my oldest kid, who has not liked school for years, and always loved school. Got to fifth grade, got to sixth grade, still liked it. Seventh and eighth grade, absolutely not. And actually, during the COVID piece, when schools were starting to go back to hybrid, asked if he could stay home and keep learning from home because he didn't like school so much. Which you know, my answer was, "That's cute. Go to school." But, um, <laughs> but I, um, and it, it, he didn't have, he didn't have any bullying problems. He didn't have any, he was just done with school. He was all set with school, not a good experience and everything. And he's gone to, um, what we call here in the States a vocational school, okay. uh, a vocational technical school. And now those schools, we used to have comprehensive high schools. We split to where now, um, your typical, high school is college prep high school. And then you have regional vocational technical high schools that you go there. And that's where you have like your metal fab, your CAD cam, your engineering, your carpentry, your plumbing, mm. all that stuff. And he enrolled in one of those. And, and you, they have um, co-ops where you can get a job like your junior year and your senior year, go out on a job site and work and in that field that you're in. Mm. And you have to get your shop that you want. You have to explore all the shops when you first get there. But um, I can't tell you how happy I am to see the look on his face every day when he comes back. He loves school and he goes to these different shops and everything because it's experiential. He experiences things. Bingo. Um, Right. He's not he's not confined to a desk, sitting at a desk or even. And, you know, that's that's not fair to say that about about your college prep high schools, because we do group work. We do things. We do activities. We we do all that stuff. And we have a have an eye towards making sure people move and all this stuff. So kids don't have to sit there still. But it's not the same. And it's it's not the same so much. And this is where the the honest reflection piece comes in for me. And I, I promise I'll stop droning after this. But it's moved me as a leader of a school to investigate other schools and look at implementing innovation pathways in my school where it's kind of our answer to that, but from that academic side and look at different career paths that we can get kids on because I, I see it in my kid. It's never been so real than to see it in my own kid. And that's, that's, you, you really hit it on, you know, the nail on the head there, you know, and, and thanks for sharing your, your own personal experience. But I think that's what also makes this, you know, podcast like this memorable for the listeners, because they're hearing exactly what we go through as leaders, as educators, and as parents. But I want to say, you said right there, he had the choice. 
And it's all about choice. We can give guided structures, we can give guided advice, et cetera. But when you give children the choice, and it can be just a little choice, like you've got you know, a pack of markers on your desk, you've got an iPad on your desk, you've got a mobile phone on your desk, you pick how you'd like to create today to show me what you've learned. That's so powerful. I, we talked previously about a lesson that I had with three year 13 students um, last year, and they had to create. And one student in year 13 picked up his mobile phone and he created an Adobe Spark um, video. And the other student used Adobe Illustrator on her MacBook. And the other student picked up her fine felt tip markers and sketch noted something on paper. And they all shared and they celebrated each other like that's so cool and that's so cool and this is what we learned, etc. And it's the idea of choice. But when they can experience through the choice, and obviously we're not saying that, you know, every child has to go off into the workforce to experience learning. Obviously, we're not saying that. But it is a very, a very visual example of what we are saying is that when given the choice and students can choose how they want to learn, that actually we see that they're happy. And I bet also, you know, we haven't shared this before, but I bet if I were to ask you that you would tell me that he was happy to come home and tell you about what he'd learned in his day as well, right? Every single day, I get a report as to, hey, dad, guess what we did today on his shop week? Because they do one week where they're in shop. And then they do one week where they're in the classroom in academics. And so every, and he doesn't, he doesn't mind going to the academic weeks because he's like, yeah, I do a week of my academics. I learn what I need to learn. And then I go get to do hands-on stuff and create and build and stuff that I, that I might be interested in. And I don't, I don't know why. And I, I, I don't know why we aren't doing the choice in school when the consequences are small. You gave that example, you know, to circle back around to what you'd said before about we need to be teaching students how to make good choices and how to, how to discern between, you know, gossip and fact, how to, how to look at different resources, how to figure out what choices we want to make in life as we move forward. We need to be doing this in school because the consequences are small. Like if those students, if the person that took out their, their phone and did an Adobe Spark thing for you uh, to show what they have learned, if that didn't work out, Whatever, it's a grade in a class. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Better Leaders, Better Schools Mastermind. The Mastermind is built on the ABCs of powerful professional development, authenticity, belonging, and challenge. With all three components, leaders experience transformation in their personal and professional lives. Personally, I've been a member of the Mastermind for years, and it's transformed my leadership by teaching me how to challenge the status quo and honor my personal vision for what leadership should be. Join me and other leaders from around the world in the mastermind. You can apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. I use Anchor to distribute the Seeing to Lead podcast because I find it to be the best tool to suit my busy schedule. Anchor has everything I need all in one place, offers hands-free distribution to everywhere podcasts are heard, and is free to use. I can use anywhere from some to all of its features based on what I need at the time. On top of all that, you can be mobile, recording, editing, and distributing all right from your phone. You can also easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. 
So go download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Okay, you may have noticed a little bit of a blip there in the recording. Seems that I maybe should have cleared out some old files, but we had a memory issue. So my re- <laughs> my re- my recording stopped. Good thing, bad thing, who knows? It was in the middle of a little bit of a rant that I had about consequences and um, teaching people to make good choices as far as it goes when we're talking about student agency. So the example I was using, um, Georgina had just talked about those three students that chose three different things to show you their learning. And, and if if the student that used Adobe Spark, if that fell apart and didn't work for him or her, no big deal. It's a small consequence. It's not, it's not something that's going to affect their life. So, you know, the idea that even goes to how well are we preparing students for life outside of school if we're not if we're not taking care of those things there. But super important for but, the- you know, I was just gonna say it's a total mic drop. And that's I'm convinced that's what broke the recording, by the way, Chris, was your big <laughs> mic drop yeah. on. Yeah, on linking this conversation to the real world, because let's face it, at the end of the day, what are we all in school for as educators or students is to help prepare them for the real world. And actually, if we're not doing that, then they're going to leave our education system achieving or not with their grades. But if they're not ready to take on the skills, people skills, the technical skills, the creative skills, all the skills they need, they're not going to be successful members of the community, see? So I think it's really important. So that kind of that kind of makes me think of a larger question I had, but I'll I'll two questions. One's one's really difficult, but I think you'll answer it if I if I approach it a different way. You said you move around every like three years in in this international school system. Um, and we talk about how do we get how do we how do we support teachers as they get engaged in taking on that, that idea of control? And I have to control the outcome and I have to control all this because that's, that's a difficult mind shift to make. You move around every few years and in, especially in the book that I, I, that I have coming out that I just finished writing, the idea that trust is huge in supporting teachers, engaging them and empowering them. How are you able to build up that trust? Because there are there are people out there that'll say, oh, well, yeah, Georgina's saying this, but I can wait Georgina out. You know what I mean? I and I the only reason I say that, and I'm not trying to be rude or anything. The only reason I say that is because I've heard teachers say that about other leaders, where I've been, I was here before this leader, I'll be here after this leader, I'll wait this leader out. So how do you how do you go about building that trust in teachers to get them to take those steps if if for nothing more, even let's look at it a different way. Even the idea of I'm going to try this, but oh, Georgina's not going to be here to support me and I won't have her to go to if I fall short. So then what do I do? So now I'm even more scared to take that chance. How do you deal with stuff like that? Yeah, I think, you know, and just for the record, I never know when I'm going to move exactly. Sometimes, you know, I almost feel like, and this is going to go back to my whole magical lens, but I do feel sometimes like I'm I'm a Mary Poppins version in education, as in like when the winds are right, you know, and it takes me to my next adventure, so to speak. And I think usually like, you know, my husband who works in machine learning, he's an artificial intelligence engineer. He always talks to me about, you know, redundancy in the workforce and, you know, how automation is is supporting and how are we supporting people who are losing their jobs to automation. And it's a whole big conversation. But in my job, Chris, in my role, 
I know my job is done when the school doesn't need me anymore. When I have created a support system or an ecosystem or helped the entire culture be so confident that actually they can choose when they want to use ed tech. They have systems and an infrastructure in place that will support the student learning and the teacher teaching and the administration and admissions and HR and all the support systems, right? When that happens... I'm not needed, just like Mary Poppins. She she swoops in, she helps, and when she's not needed, she moves on. I can see you laughing, but it's so true if you think about it, right? Yeah. No, and I'm I'm laughing. I'm laughing because um, I love the fact that it, throughout the course of this podcast, first of all, that that's a phenomenal point. Before I before I dive go on a tangent on this other thing, that's a great point because I always say that I want to work myself out of a job. If I'm being honest yeah. with myself, and I never thought of that from your lens the same way from the tech avenue or from a tech director, that if if you're really doing your thing and you really get something in place, you're you're working yourself out of a job, which if I'm the leader I I should be or need to be, then it doesn't matter if I leave because I've worked it to a point where they don't need me to be there because people are empowered enough to do the job themselves. Now, for all the listeners, we're not saying, you know, just for everybody who's listening in that, you know, as leaders, we have to like leave our jobs. No, because I do also think, Chris, that like with education always evolving, the times evolving and tech evolving, I think that there's always a need to help the innovation continue. And so innovation is never fully done. But my role as a, as a specific you know, kind of leader in the educational ecosystem is a little different because when you've got teachers that are willing to take risks and students that are willing to use tools and you've got leaders who also lead by example using tools, like I got an email in my inbox this morning, we're in half term here in the UK. And the leader from the elementary school sent me an email. Here's my certificate. I got certified Google um, certified educator level one. That's excellent. I've been here less than three months and I already have some members of my leadership team certifying because they believe it's important to lead that, that bandwagon by example, so to speak. So, so it's not about like as leaders, we have to leave when we feel like our community is strong. No, but like in my specific field, it's, it's very much the idea of, being confident in meaningful ways of using technology and then, you know, go help the next school. Because as you said, Chris, at the very beginning, not everybody's at the same place. So there is still a great need for people like me. I always ask myself, you know, just to be honest with you, Chris, and the listeners, I always ask myself like, gosh, maybe people don't need me anymore. You know, I've been doing this job for like a decade now. Maybe that's not needed. But then you move to other countries and you see other schools that that still have a big need for that and you know that actually there's still work to be done. So Mary Poppins lives on, as it were. And that's, that's what I was laughing about. The idea that you've referenced Hogwarts, a hobbit hole, and Mary Poppins. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I answered your question at all. Um, and sorry, I like to go off on my little magical did. tangents. Did I? Okay, very good. No, I, I believe you did because you were talking, I, I had asked how you how you can do that, but you were talking about building a structure in place that can operate in your absence. Yeah. And I don't think, and and through my own, through my own shortcomings, just the, let's be honest, when I talk about working yourself out of a job and everything, maybe I'm phrasing that wrong because, and you talking about innovation and innovation 
never being over. So it's not so much getting people to a point where, yeah, that's good enough, because I, I'm also a stickler for continuous improvement. Maybe it's building people up in that capacity to innovate. So when yeah. somebody gets to that higher level um, or a greater capacity to innovate, maybe that's what I'm trying to hit on. Yeah. Good food for thought. Good food for thought. We'll leave, we'll leave that one there. So let's, <laughs> let's move on to the two questions I ask everybody on the podcast. Okay. You ready for this? I'm ready. As ready as I'll ever be. There you go. If not, I'll just click my sparkling red slippers from the Wizard of Oz and I'll Uh, take myself home. (laughs) You had to put another one in. You had to put another one in. But you know what? I I can't pitch you with the ruby red slippers on, but possibly the umbrella. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So stay with Mary Poppins. I've got you with the umbrella. Okay. If you were where you are now and a leader, who not what, who else would you be? Yeah, this is a good question because I don't think I actually like the answer. So I've picked two <laughs> answers. Okay. I'm picking, I'm picking the answer that I would have picked had I not gone into teaching. So when I was in high school, um, I always wanted to be a lawyer. And I thought that I could help change the world by helping keep the world safe by being a lawyer and fighting for the good. So I wanted to be a lawyer. And I say to you that although my intention was in the right place, I hope, I think, (laughs) anyway, (laughs) I'm not sure that I would have liked the answer because I'm not sure in today's, in 2021, if being a lawyer would give me as much job satisfaction as education does. And I'm not sure that I would have the same magical lens in the crux of reality in law firms than I do in education where every day is magical. So uh, it's a bit of a catch, whatever the phrase is, uh, 21 or 22, (laughs) 22. Thank you. And yeah, so that's what I, if I'd have, if I'd gone down my original route, that's what I would have been. But now if I see myself as something else, I think about things that I'm passionate about. And I actually would really have loved to have become a children's book illustrator and or author because I've really started to develop my drawing and illustration skills. And um, writing children's books, I think would have been right up my alley right about now. So yeah. Cool. Now, I'm not going to point out the idea that your first job was in first grade um, and you were worried about how you do with that. And now you're talking about illustrating and writing children's books. That's awesome. See, you were cut out for it. Maybe it's fake. You never know. <laughs> so the next one is let's wrap all this up. <laughs> let's, let's add the biggest piece of value to it. What's the piece of advice? What's that, the takeaway, the main takeaway you would give to leaders Uh, or the most important piece of advice you would give to leaders as they work to better support, engage, and empower their teachers? I've got a lot of points, so I'm going to stick to like one. It may turn into two. I have no promises based on on our (laughs) conversation so far. Um, The first one is be kind to everybody, all stakeholders in your organization, starting with yourself. So as a leader, be kind to yourself. If you didn't have a great conversation with a staff member, if they didn't achieve what you were hoping they were to achieve, be kind to yourself that you've given the support and that there's progress and that you'll get there. Teachers, be kind to teachers. Understand that we don't know what they've gone through, uh, you know, on their personal life. Maybe they're coming to work and, you know, uh, they're not feeling well or something not great has happened in their household. So be kind to educators. Be empathetic. 
and also the same for parents. When parents waltz into our office, hopefully it's for a positive note, but not always the case. You know, we have to be empathetic. Maybe this is like the third time or the fourth child that they're having to deal with issues. So we need to be um, be kind to everybody's situation. And that also helps us take things off our shoulder, you know, so that it's not really a personal thing. So I think we all need to be kind. I think sometimes when we step into a situation as a leader with our empathy hat on, according to the context, I think that really goes a long way to support and empower. Sometimes. For example, and I'll just use an example of instructional coaching on this one. So a lot of people say like, oh, an instructional coaching session is an hour long and it's really important to last the 60 minutes. I disagree. Sometimes, you know, an educator might have been helping a student out on the playground. They're coming to the session, you know, 10, 15 minutes late. The session might only last 40 minutes. That's okay. Were we able to have small amounts of progress? Do we have to sit for 60 seconds for learning to take place? Absolutely not. Can it be an interaction in the hallway or just before a meeting starts? It all adds up. And so instead of thinking, and my second big tip for for your question is instead of thinking about traditional time and space, the best way to empower and support your community is to reimagine space and time. Because if we think about it, time is probably the biggest thing educators would like more of in their day-to-day work and probably as leaders too. So if we rethink that, that would help us as leaders rethink the way we have meetings. And, you know, I could tell you about some books and podcasts I've listened to where they talk about four different types of meeting styles. And who are we bringing to our meetings? Does everybody have to be there every time for every meeting? And we think about professional learning. Do staff need to be in present for a 60-minute training session once a week every week? Or actually, can it rotate? And maybe one week is often they can choose, actually, I'm going to work on a course today, or I'm going to buddy up with somebody vertically across the school and see how they're planning their lessons, because that's also CPD. Or is it that you're hosting a professional learning once a month virtually so that parents can actually go pick up their kids from soccer practice and tune in um, through audio or through a Google Meet? So sometimes the best way we can support people is by helping them with their time and space by us reimagining ours. Hopefully that makes a bit of sense. That makes a ton of sense. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You keep saying that. I hope that makes sense. Everything you're saying is like gold. So. Well, that's good because my husband would disagree. He would be talking about Georgina. (laughs) From an an engineer's perspective, let me tell you, nothing makes sense that comes out of my mouth to an engineer. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's a fantastic answer. You've said so many good things. And I, I mean, especially those two, those two tips are fantastic. You said so many good things today and made so many great references to stuff. I can't imagine that people don't want to get in touch with you. Oh, bless. So what's the what's the best way they can get in touch with you? Sure. So if you are on the Edu Twitterverse, then you can find me at techieleaderedu. Um, try to get on there at least once a day to celebrate or retweet someone or to share something. And I'm also on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn. And I'm also on Instagram. Um, and I've been reposting some of Chris's podcasts, so definitely can 
check that out uh, on Instagram. I'm at redefine ed for redefine education. Okay. And your LinkedIn's techie leader edu as well. Um, actually good point. No, the LinkedIn is Georgina Dean, so they can just find me by full name. Okay. All right. And I will, I will definitely put those all in the show notes as well. So people can get in touch with you. Oh, that'll be so exciting. I'm always excited to learn um, from others' uh, experiences and uh, global lenses, I guess we could say. I think that the more we connect with people like you've done to invite me onto your show today, Chris, I think the more we're going to grow uh, our practice and support uh, our community. So yeah, thank you for having me, eh? Thank you for coming on. I'm, I couldn't be happier with the result. It was <laughs> great getting to talk to you these two times. And uh, I, I can't wait to stay in touch with you well, and talk to you soon. But not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at drcsjones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Learn more at drcsjones.blog. Continue to improve and go have a successful week. Thank you.